Chapter Six of Wise and Otherwise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter Six. The heart of the wise teacheth his mouth. What a flutter of satisfaction you are in, Mister Sales said, looking at his wife with an amused face. I hope she is half as nice as you think her to be. Before that lady could indignantly protest, Mister Tresevant asked a question. I have been wondering, Mrs. Sales, if a fortune had been left you to bring such a shine to your eyes. Is it a gold mine or a new discovery of diamonds? It is diamonds and pearls and gold and everything else that is bright and precious, in the shape of a very dear friend whom I have not seen in years and who is coming to me tomorrow. Friends are disappointing creatures, Mr. Tresevant answered, a touch of gravity in his voice. If you have not seen this one in years, I advise you not to build your hopes too high. People change so. Nevertheless, Mrs. Sales went about during the rest of that day with very shining eyes and very happy, expectant face, which was not shaded in the least when, on the morrow, she had been sitting for a half an hour close beside her friend and was now with her in her dressing room, waiting while the rich masses of brown hair were being smoothed and braided into shape. I wrote you, you remember. That our clergyman and his wife boarded with us. Their room is directly opposite yours, so you will not be lonely, though ours is so far away. I had to be near the nursery, you know. I don't know about rooming so near to a clergyman's family," laughed the newcomer. "I may shock their sense of propriety. I am not remarkable for my own propriety of action, you know. What about them? Are they young or old, grave or gay? You have never even told me the name. I fancy there was a sudden pause. The brush that had been moving swiftly down the masses of hair was checked in its progress, while the holder leaned forward and bent an earnest gaze on some prospect on the lawn beneath. "What is it?" asked her hostess, coming forward. "Oh, that is our pastor under the maple tree, and his wife is the one in blue on the other side of the walk. They cannot see you; the vines shade the window, you know. But I will draw the curtains closer." The brush resumed its duties, and the young lady said in a quiet tone. I know your pastor and his wife, Abby. You do indeed. Where did you meet them, and when? Are you much acquainted with them? Why, it is strange. But no, now that I think of it, I don't believe I have happened to mention your name before them. I knew them in Lewiston. You remember, I spent two years there with father. This Mister Tresevant was my pastor during that time. Why, I knew he came from Lewiston, of course, but I never connected the name with you before. It is strange too that I haven't. But then, you know, you scarcely wrote to me during those two years. Then you knew him very well. Very well, indeed. Well, tell me, please, then, what you think of him. Again, the brush paused in its course. This came as a very strange question to Del Bronson's ears. She had never been asked it before. What did she think of Mister Tresevant? Well, what did she? How was the question to be answered? What a queer world it was! Here was this Abby standing beside her. The dearest, most intimate friend that she had in the world, yet how strange it would be to tell her the truth, to say, for instance, that that man down under the maple tree had once, not so very long ago, asked her to be his wife, that she loved him and had told him so, but that a strange and to her insurmountable obstacle had loomed up between them, that he had grown very angry with her at last because she tried to smooth a bitter trial to him. None other than the being ignored as a minister of the gospel, while this little pink and white lady down there on the lawn had buried her first husband. That, after the lapse of time, she being still true to her own heart, 
and looking eagerly for the falling away of the great obstacle between them, had been transfixed with the news that the small lady down on the lawn had become his wife, that one day, not long afterward, they came, she in rustling silk and fluttering ribbons, and he in his professional character, and attended her father's funeral, and that she had not seen him since, until this glimpse of him under the maple tree. All these thoughts passed swiftly through her mind, but there was nothing in them to tell. For his sake, if not for hers, she must be very silent over this bit of past history. And in truth, nothing of these things answered the question, what did she think of Mr. Tresevant? It was such a queer question. It was years since she had asked it of herself. Once, indeed, she would have been prompt to answer, he was the embodiment of all that was good and grand and noble, but for one thing he would have been perfect. Why, but for one thing, she would have been down there, standing with him underneath that maple tree, at this moment. What a queer world! And then there first rushed upon her a realizing sense of the fact that she did not in the least desire to be under the maple tree with him, that it was altogether nicer and better to be Del Bronson, up here in this beautiful room, visiting with her friend, and with, what an absurd thought to come in just then, but it came, bringing a flush to her cheek, with a brief, friendly letter from Mr. Nelson in her pocket. Meantime, Mrs. Sales waited in wondering silence for her answer. It came at last, slow-toned, hesitating. I think he is a good man. The most, the very most, that her truth-loving lips could frame to say. Surely enough, and yet Mrs. Sales drew a little bit of a sigh, and answered in the same slow way, Yes, I think he is. Dell was silent and reflected thoughtfully. Was there more that she could have said? This man was her friend's pastor. She had it in her power, perhaps, to injure him. Had she unwittingly done so? Was it pique, a sense of wounded and trifled with affection, that had prompted her hesitancy? She smiled over this thought, and realized fully, for the first time, that she certainly was very grateful to him for putting it out of her power to go and stand under the maple with him, as that tiny wife was doing. But then, what would Abby think of all this hesitancy? Some dreadful thing, perhaps. There was certainly such a thing as truth which did not necessarily include the speaking of the whole truth. She pushed the last hairpin energetically into the coil of hair, and faced round to her companion. Abby, if I tell you what I really think, you will not go imagining that I know of a duel that your pastor has fought, and a murder or two that he has committed, or any such horrible thing. I truly think that he is a good Christian man, a very eloquent preacher, a very earnest student, and that he is very much in love with himself. There! What dress shall I put on in order to charm your husband? It is very important that he should like me, as I mean to make a long visit. Mr. Tresevant was taken at a disadvantage. No idea as to who the stranger was, who was to join the family that day, had entered his mind, and the first intimation he had of her presence was when a well-remembered vision of bright, fresh beauty paused before him with a clear-toned, How do you do, Mr. Tresevant? The clergyman's pale face flushed with surprise and embarrassment, but Dell turned promptly to his wife, who was voluble and eager in her greeting, and for once a source of considerable relief and comfort. You seem to have found old friends, Mr. Sales said, looking on in bright surprise, and Dell answered promptly, To our mutual astonishment, save that I have the advantage of these people, in that I caught a glimpse of them on the lawn but a short time ago. Then they all sat down to dinner, Mr. Tresevant struggling with his vexation at having betrayed special surprise or interest in this lady, 
and imagining, after the manner of self-absorbed persons, that he had been much more demonstrative than was at all the case. If that man could only have realized how he was feeding his soul on himself, what a blessing would have come to him! As it was, every passing day increased his self-torment. Truly it was not a pleasant position to be seated opposite a young lady, with whom he had hardly exchanged a dozen words since the evening on which he asked her to be his wife. But, if he would have misjudged her all his life long, as he had been doing since his first acquaintance with her, truly it was the most comfortable thing that could have happened to either of them that their paths so widely diverged. Not one single act of her life with which he was familiar had he understood, or felt the force of her motive, and Del Bronson was not a woman to live in a continual state of misunderstanding with her nearest friend, and take it meekly. He had actually believed two-thirds of her enthusiasm on the subject of temperance to have its rise in the natural ambition of a brilliant young lady to be prominent in something, and that being the thing that offered first, she accepted the position. When the issue arose between them, he did not name it principle upon her part, but a determination to rule, even if she lost everything in the attempt, and it was not so much a sore heart that held him aloof from her during that long interval, as a feeling of wounded pride that he had actually been worsted in the strife. Of course, you are not to suppose that Mr. Tresevant, receiving all these feelings into his heart and brooding over them, ever felt genuine, earnest, Christian love toward the object of them. It is a question whether a self-absorbed man ever comes out of himself long enough to realize the true meaning of that much-abused word. So there are no broken hearts to be talked about, you will observe. And, presently, Mr. Tresevant roused out of himself sufficiently to join in the general conversation. "'Can you give us any Lewiston news, Miss Bronson?' was his first question when he had rallied. Dell thought of the letter in her pocket. She had changed it from one pocket to the other when she changed her dress, and answered, "'I should be the one to ask that question of you, sir.' Of course, Mrs. Tresevant has constant communication with her home friends, while I have not seen a Lewiston face in more than two years. Ah, then, we ought to be able to enlighten you as to some of your protégés. We came from there only two months since. Let me see, who were your special friends there? If his purpose was to annoy her, it was a foolish attempt, for when the young lady did not choose to be annoyed, it was a difficult matter to accomplish. A mischievous smile played around her lips as she answered promptly, Mr. Forbes was the main friend I had. He was especially kind to me during that time when I so much needed friends. And Sam Miller was another. Can you tell me anything about them, Mr. Tresevant? The flush on the clergyman's face deepened as he answered coldly, I was not particularly intimate with either of the gentlemen named, but I believe they are still at work at their trades. They both united with your church, I understood. They did. His tone was haughtier this time. Did they give satisfaction as regards their Christian character? I had no special fault to find with them. Would, she ask next, if he considered the temperance pledge a stain on their characters, and so bring up the whole miserable subject here in his new home? No, such was no part of Del Bronson's intention. She glided away from the subject easily, not sorry that she had touched upon it at all, as Mrs. Sales would have been, but with a resolute determination to carry no subject to the extent of putting a feather in the pastor's way. "'Abby,' she said, as the two friends were sitting together in the twilight, "'do you know you gave me an impetus once that my life has never overcome? You said that no sooner did you find yourself in a new spot, surrounded by new faces, 
that you straightway began to look about you and see what manner of special personal work there was for you to do. Do you remember it? I don't remember telling you so, but that has been my habit for many years. And mine, since we talked about it together. I thought of it today on the cars. But people can set themselves to work so much quicker and so much more intelligently if they only have some friend to give them a little bit of a hint. For instance, what do you see here in Newton that you think I could do? I am not good at setting myself to work. My work heretofore has seemed to come squarely to me, face to face, and say, Here, do me, you cannot get rid of doing me, you see, without absolute and open-eyed shirking. I don't think I know how to hunt after things. I don't think we need to hunt after them, Abby said gently. If we have but a willing spirit, I think they troop about us, eager to be done. Then, after a moment's pause, Dell, couldn't you help our pastor? Dell laughed. What a queer idea, she said. What could I possibly do to help him? I don't know, Mrs. Sales answered meekly. There are ways, I suppose, and you are acquainted with him and his wife, and so know better how to help them. A little silence fell between them, Dell thinking earnestly. Perhaps there were ways. She was a little averse to trying that sort of work, which, perhaps, was one plain reason why she should. She had not been very helpful that day. She had carried him to the very verge of endurance, talking about Lewiston people. To be sure, she meant to go not a step further, but how should he know that? She broke the silence abruptly. I did not help him much today. No, her friend answered simply. There was not so much an inquiry in the tone as a quiet acknowledgment that that fact had been understood. Dell laughed again. You saw that, did you? Well, he was rather exasperating in his questions to me. There are some things about Lewiston life that he ought to touch gently. But I am not going to haunt him. Then, after another silence, Well, Abby, I mean to try. End of chapter 6 Recording by Tricia G.